Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. It's great to have you with us. Welcome to Message Live. I am Sam Ward. Uh, If you're thinking, hang on a minute, that looks slightly different behind him. I wish I was this cool. Uh, But our guys today are recording ahead of an amazing event that will be live on Message Live on Friday night at 7.30. We're doing a lift event, which is perfect for young people and youth groups. Please do make sure you check it out, log on and watch that. Pull you guys together and do something brilliant. It'll be fantastic. But our guys will be recording ahead of some of that stuff. So uh, look out for that. It'll be brilliant. Yesterday was an amazing day. We had our prayer day, which I absolutely loved because we heard some phenomenal testimonies from around our network. We heard about the guys in South Africa. I'll tell you what I loved most about that was the story of that lady who's the first gang star apprentice, a female. This is a woman who is married, three kids, wrongly accused of a crime, spends a long time in prison, comes out and is going to struggle to find work. We heard about the the unemployment rate amongst youth in South Africa at around 70% unemployment rate. And so if you've got a criminal record, you're going to be struggling. But yet this woman joins our uh, ex-offender program. She's taught to be a barista. Now she has a job in a cafe in Cape Town. It was brilliant. And then we heard about the guys in Germany who uh, tried to do some creative mission. They'd pulled together a gig uh, where the rules on COVID meant they could not gather more than 100. So they got 100 young people in this room and 51 of them, 51% uh, decided they were going to follow God, respond to the gospel. I was like, come on, what an incredible rate that is. Uh, but I think the highlight uh, was when Jane... Uh, interviewed one of our community grocery members, uh, absolutely moved when uh, this woman was sharing about her life, which had been full of difficulty and tragedy. She'd been waiting for a heart transplant, and uh, her life was so sad that, and so difficult, so painful, that she'd removed herself from the heart transplant list because she felt she had nothing to live for anymore. And then she meets Jesus. And Jesus changes her life. And as she begins to come to terms with a Christ who loves her, a God who's for her, she realizes she's got something to live for again. And she places herself back on the waiting list for a heart transplant. I was just like overwhelmed. Really, like the gospel transforms lives, really transforms lives. And there it was evident for us yesterday, the life-changing power of Christ. And it's that life-changing power that I want to draw our attention to this morning. I want to look at the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, our lives look different. When we welcome the Comforter, when we welcome the Helper, life changes. When the Holy Spirit steps in, things will be different. This is what Jesus said in John 16, verse 9, when talking about the Holy Spirit. He said this, but very truly, this is verse 9, very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says, it's really good. It's a good thing. 
It's a good thing that I return to heaven because when I do, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the helper, is the advocate. And when he comes, he will make a difference. You can guarantee it. If Jesus said it was good that he went because a helper is going to come, you know that help is going to make a difference to the very way in which we live. Then I read this earlier this week. In fact, I was discussing it with someone, this quote from A.W. Tozer. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop. And everybody would know the difference. Do you see what a painful read that is? Because the same Holy Spirit that was afforded and blessed and poured out upon the early church is the same Holy Spirit which is given to us. But yet Toza reflects that the church, the church is not living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I want to take us on a whirlwind tour of Acts chapter 3 as we look at the transformational power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the disciples. I want us to become ever increasingly hungry for the power that was displayed upon the early church to be displayed in our lives and in our church right now. So let me take us through Acts chapter 3. It starts with Peter and John, those two disciples that are kind of intrinsically linked either side of Jesus. They've got this weird, slightly competitive relationship, and they are walking together towards the temple. It's three in the afternoon. They think it's time to pray. Then they enter through that gate called Beautiful, and there in the entrance is a man who sits who's lame, has been disabled from birth, and the man is begging for money. And he sees Peter and John, and he asks them too. And Peter and John look straight in his eyes, and they say this, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. They have nothing but Christ. Nothing to offer but Jesus. And so Peter reaches out and he takes him by the hand and he pulls him to his feet. And as the man takes to his feet, they begin to strengthen and the ankles become strong. And he goes from sitting, having never walked, to standing and now jumping and leaping. And he tests out his legs and I would just have loved to see that. A guy who doesn't know how to use legs and he's fully enjoying every moment. As he feels the surge of blood goes to his feet and he's like, come on. And then he joins Peter and John, like holds on to them almost like they're, they're the miracle workers and I'm never going to let you go. He, he kind of walks with them as they walk towards the temple and he's walking and he's leaping and praising God as I used to sing in the Sunday school back in the day. And everybody's attention is drawn to this guy. They've seen him every single day sat beneath the gate called Beautiful, but now he seems to be leaping and jumping and praising God. And people are filled with wonder, filled with amazement. And people come running, ironically running from the church to the place where the presence of God truly is. Peter sees the crowd begin to gather and he takes his opportunity to preach. And his preach is 
absolutely incredible. It's packed full of great things. He addresses their surprise and he begins to question their faith. And then he sets them straight and he brings this smackdown when he tells them that they are responsible for crucifying Christ. He tells them that they disown the Holy One, that they are the ones who killed the very author of life. Then he tells them about the resurrection and he tells them what he witnessed and he begins to talk about the healing that will come through faith in Jesus Christ. He tells them that the death and a life, death and resurrection of Jesus was foretold by the prophets and that if they repent and turn to God, their sins will be forgiven. And then finally he tells them that Christ has ascended to heaven. He's returned to God. It is an incredible preach. A preach for the ages. There's no notes. It just overflows from him as he begins to declare the truth. The entire story of the Christian faith in rapid fire, power and passion. But mid-flow, they're interrupted by the temple priests and the temple guards and the Sadducees, the keeper of the law and the enforcers of the law. The local religious heavyweights come running out. Do you imagine what's going on? As they realise people are leaving the temple to see what's happening, they're like, quick, shut it down. We are told they are disturbed due to the fact that Peter and John are, are proclaiming the good news of Jesus and his resurrection. And they arrest Peter and John and they throw them in prison. But it's too late. The gospel has been preached. And it says, many who heard the message believed, so that the number of men who believed grew to 5,000. That is some kind of response. You know, that's probably more than the 51% I mentioned going on there in Germany. This is like outstanding. I don't know if he did a call and response, stand up if you just want to say this prayer with me. I don't know if they got as far as the sinner's prayer, but so many blokes and their families will have responded to the gospel in that moment. Then Peter and John are brought out the next day to be questioned, not by the guys who arrested them, but by the big guns, the rulers the elders, the teachers, and these two guys, Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests. Do you remember those guys? Those are the guys that uh, were at the trial of Jesus. Annas is the guy that questioned Jesus first, and it's one of his guys that slaps Jesus full in the face. And it's Annas that has had Jesus bound and then sent to Caiaphas. And it's Caiaphas that questioned Jesus and then sent him to Pilate. And it's Pilate that condemned Jesus to death. Peter and John are now stood before the very men who had Jesus tried and sentenced to death. And they ask, by what power or what name do you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, lets them have it. It's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. 
blooming heck. It's absolutely incredible. And they say, Jesus, the one you crucified, is the fulfillment of the scripture. And they begin to quote Isaiah 53. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. And he has become the cornerstone. And those amazing words, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Oh, my word. They like, like they just are shameless with the gospel, fearless with the gospel. They are overwhelmed with the power of the Spirit, and it transforms the very words that are coming from their mouth. They are preaching to the highest of Jewish authorities. Before the men that are tried and sentenced Jesus to death and now giving the gospel in all its glory. And I love verse 13. Verse 13, you'll, if you know me, you'll know this is real key to the very things that I stand for. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I love it, but it's absolutely ram-packed, this verse 13. They saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that though they were unschooled and ordinary men, something amazing was going on. Peter and John are ordinary. They are fishermen. They have the most basic of education. They have no formal training. The Greek word to describe them as ordinary and unschooled is idiotes. I've got it on a t-shirt. I wanted to wear it last week, but Charlotte said people would think I was calling them idiots. So I hid it away. It means unlearned. It means an unprofessional, an ungifted person. They realized when they looked at them that they were proper ordinary. They were ignorant and unlearned. They know how to catch fish. They know how to steer boats. They know how to mend nets. They have no formal training. They don't have any role within the temple. They are not preach, pre, uh, priest or teacher or even God. But yet they speak with confidence, with assurance, with belief, with conviction. They speak with uh, freedom and courage and power and passion and understanding, eloquence, ability and knowledge, and they blow the minds of those who listen. And they look on and think, what is going on with these guys? And they took note that these guys had obviously been with Jesus. You see why I love it? These guys are ordinary and unschooled, but yet in this moment, they be people begin to recognize Christ displayed in their lives. All that assurance and belief and conviction and courage and, and passion and all that stuff appeared like Jesus before them. The disciples had begun to resemble their teacher. They were imitating Christ. And this is what happens to true disciples. We begin to, to resemble those who teach us. We are conformed to their likeness. Not just because we dress in the same way or grow beards or wear sandals, but in character. In the way that we exist begins to reflect those who have taught us. These guys have been following Jesus for years. You would have hoped that something of Christ would have rubbed off in their life. Walking with Jesus, 
Imagine that. It would have been incredible. Imagine sitting at his feet and hearing him teach and he would have taught about the law and he would have taught about the commands and the Psalms and the prophets. I could listen for hours as Jesus unpacks those scriptures and declares truth. It's going to rub off, you would hope. But this is the controversial bit. Because you know what? This isn't enough. I would hope that walking with Jesus for a few years would be enough, but it's not enough. There has to be more. Let me explain. See, Peter stands accused by those religious authorities in a courtyard that he has visited before. He's declaring the truth about Christ in a courtyard that is familiar to him. I believe he has been in that exact same courtyard, but just a few days before. Do you remember what happened in the courtyard of the high priest? Peter followed Jesus. After he was arrested in the garden, he followed, he followed Jesus to the courtyard. And Peter sat at the fire as Jesus was tried and tested. But Peter, in that same courtyard, when he was accused of being a disciple, denied Christ, not once but three times in the courtyard of the high priest, three times before the cock crowed, three times he failed, three times he didn't stand up and declare the truth, but now Peter stands in the exact same place, in the exact same courtyard, before the exact same people, and there's something that is different. You know, Peter, when he'd stood up first time, no one was impressed. No one recognized Christ in him. He was a huge disappointment. But on this day, they are amazed. This day, they are overwhelmed. The difference is vast. Something has happened in the lives of these men, in the lives of Peter and John. Something has happened between the first visit to the courtyard and to the second visit to the courtyard. Something has happened in their lives. And I believe we find that in John chapter 20, when the disciples are in the upper room, just a few days after Christ has been crucified. Their friend is dead. The disciples find themselves with no assurance, no belief, no conviction, no courage, no power, no passion, no understanding, no eloquence, no ability, no knowledge. They find themselves pooping their pants, full of doubt, full of fear, hiding from those Jewish authorities. They think Christ died and they're next, and so they hide away, scared for their lives. And then Jesus appears out of nowhere he doesn't use the door I like that he doesn't knock on it's me can you let me in he suddenly appears and then we read this Jesus came and stood amongst them and said peace be with you after he said this he showed them his hands and his side the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord again Jesus said peace be with you as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. They encountered the risen Christ and they received his peace. They received the Holy Spirit and Jesus anointed them for ministry. His ministry. 
As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. This incredible statement. As the Father sent Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, now Jesus sends his followers about the same business. Paul, the Apostle Paul, describes us as co-heirs with Christ. We share in his inheritance. That means we share in his business. We share in the business of Jesus. And how does Jesus describe his business? We find that in Luke chapter 4. Jesus returns from the wilderness, from the place of temptation, and returns to the synagogue where he stands up and reads from the scroll of Isaiah. And he begins to read those words from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. An anointing to proclaim, an anointing to announce good news, an anointing to proclaim freedom for captives, an anointing to proclaim the recovery of sight for the blind, an anointing to proclaim uh, that the oppressed will be set free, an anointing to proclaim a new season a new season of God, the favour of the new thing that is to come, the year of the Lord's favour. And who does the Lord favour? The poor, the captive, the sick, the suffering and the oppressed. And Jesus says to his disciples, now my ministry is yours. The mandate that was upon me is upon you. And with that will come the same spirit that I have. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you about my business. You will be anointed. You will be anointed to be those who proclaim the good news. You'll be anointed to proclaim freedom. Anointed to bring the recovery of sight for the blind and all those incredible things. And I believe that Jesus continues to say it to us today, his disciples. If you're a follower of Jesus, he says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Hear those words spoken over you. But with those words come some incredible promises. Firstly comes peace. When the presence of Christ comes, his peace comes. An unimaginable, incredible peace, a peace that calms fear, a peace that enables ministry to take place. You know, sometimes we are captive by our fears, aren't we? I meet people that say, I could never join an Eden team. I could never be a, a missionary. I could never do this, that, and the other. I just think, man, you need to encounter again the presence of Christ and hear him say, peace be with you. And then Jesus wants to anoint us. When he gives us his ministry, it's not like he like goes, off you go, now it's over to you. In your own strength, go about the thing that I've told you to do. He says, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And then he breathes upon them. He wants us to receive his ministry. He wants us to go in his name. He wants us to go about his business. And he wants to give us all the help we can get. You know, I'm concerned for the church, that we're really keen to do the things of Jesus. We want to be about his ministry, but we want to do it in our own strength, and it was never supposed to be the case. Jesus gives us his helper. 
He says it's better that I go, that you might get the one that will be with you to help you. He wants to help us with the mission and ministry of Jesus. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Now let me breathe upon you. Let me breathe upon you the Holy Spirit that will enable you. What's the difference between the two courtyards? The Holy Spirit. The presence of Christ through his spirit that dwells within us. It's transformational. It takes us from the place of fear, concern, anxiety and worry. And it pushes us out to the mission and ministry of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I can't do it in my own strength. I feel like time and time again right now, Jesus is telling me, you can't do this on your own. You can't do this in your own strength. Let me help you. Let me help you. Let me help you. Let me send you the helper. And so I want to pray for us. As the band come and join me, I want to pray for us that Jesus again would breathe on us afresh today. That we'd receive his spirit anew in this moment. When we realise the task at hand, when we realise he's calling us to his ministry, we would take note that he wants to help. And he wants to send his spirit to fill us. And so stand with me if you're in the room. If you're at home, maybe open your posture just to symbolize that you want to receive afresh from God today. And we're going to ask, Holy Spirit, we need you. Would you come? Would you fill us afresh? We pray, Jesus, breathe on us. Jesus, we want to take your ministry seriously. We want to go about your kingdom business. But we recognize that we easily get caught up in trying to do this in our own strength. And we recognize this morning our need of a helper. So we say, come Holy Spirit, breathe on us. Fill us now, Holy Spirit. Come Lord. Come, Lord. We need you. Amen. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. 